So as I said a moment ago, we are in the midst of a series that we are calling Unstoppable, the spirit unleashed in the book of Acts. But it is more than just a sermon series. We've also put together a reading plan, uh, inviting the entire congregation to read together through the book of Acts. We've got bookmarks like this that have the sort of the daily readings on it so that you can put that in your Bible and each day you can know exactly where it is that you're supposed to be reading. Our hope is that as a community of faith that we will all read this together, that we will all be intentional about reading the same scriptures together. Um, we've also, so we've got these bookmarks that we encourage you to pick up on your way out if you've not done so already. There's also video guides, uh, study guides that are on our website. All of that sort of thing can be found uh, on our website at universitychristian.org slash unstoppable. Uh, essentially, we're taking a deep dive into the story of the early church and the remarkable spread of the gospel. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, we heard last week. And seeing how today, today we as part of the church continue to be God's witnesses. And that we have a, a vital role to play in the continuing spread of the unstoppable kingdom of God. Now, this reading plan uh, is pretty simple. We basically read one chapter every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, on Saturday, it's a day for you to catch up if you had to miss a day. And then on Sunday, we are looking at studying, praying, uh, preaching on one of the stories, one of the texts that we would have read this last week. Um, we are one week into it, so if you've not joined us, it's not too late. Uh, it's still time to catch up, and so we would encourage you to do that uh, and join us. Today, we're looking at Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost, found in chapter 2, which we would have read on Tuesday. Now, it might be helpful for me to give a little quick recap on the events that took place on that day. Now, Pentecost was a Jewish festival, it still is, uh, sometimes referred to as the Festival of the Weeks. And it was set 50 days after, 50 days after Passover. Pentecost Day, which is the Greek word, means 50. And so it's 50 days after Passover. It was an agricultural celebration uh, that took place seven weeks after the harvest, when everybody in that agriculture, that agrarian society, would, would gather up their harvest, uh, and they would present the first fruits as an offering to God. They would come, and they would bring it to the temple and present it to God. It was one of three pilgrimage festivals. So Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem for this festival and they would bring these offerings to God. And that year, the very first century, just after the resurrection of Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles, those that have been following Jesus, that have been entrusted with this good news. And all of a sudden, those disciples turned apostles. They start speaking 
in languages that they'd never learned before, but languages that all of those people that had gathered from all over, they would have understand. All of a sudden, for the first time, for the first time, they were able to hear the gospel proclaimed in their own native language. It's where the phrase speaking in tongues comes from. Now, you may remember that a few weeks ago, I preached on the story of the Tower of Babel that's found in Genesis chapter 11, when God scatters the people and causes them to speak different languages. But here at Pentecost, God is reversing that, essentially undoing that, bringing everyone together in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And everyone was able to hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. They were amazed. They were bewildered. They stood around and asked each other, so what does this mean? And so Peter stood up. One of the disciples stood up and began to speak. He began to, to explain and remind them of what the prophet Joel had said years and years and years ago, that the Spirit of God would descend upon the God's people, all the people, and that the, the young would see visions, the elders would dream dreams, and everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And then he says, then he says that this person of Jesus that you've been hearing about, the one who was betrayed, who was killed, who died, and who was resurrected, he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He is the, the reason and the way that salvation is finally available to all of us. And this is the reason, this is why the Spirit of God has come. Now we will be hearing the last little piece of that speech. When fine, Peter finally gets rolling, he's rounding third and heading for home. And as we'll hear, 3,000 people join the church on that day. So I invite you to listen now to Acts chapter 2. Today's scripture, as already mentioned, comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, verses 36 through 41. Here begins the reading. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him, and he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thank you, God. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. When in the midst of the Civil War, in just 271 words, reminded us of our nation's purpose, of our calling. It did more than just open a cemetery on that day. It gave meaning, it gave substance to a national crisis, cataclysm. 
Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech who, when he stood on the, the steps of Abraham Lincoln's memorial in the midst of the civil rights movement reminding us that even a hundred years after emancipation that many people of color were still not free. It reinterpreted our history, our constitution, and it mobilized people for action, for justice. Kennedy's inaugural address in which he invited us to, to ask not what our country can do for us, but ask what we can do for our country. It instilled a sense of confidence at home and respect around the world in the midst of the Cold War. It inspired a nation, brought us together. You see, a good speech, occasionally a good sermon, but always a good speech, can turn us inside out. It can stir us to move, unite us for a, for a common good, even in the midst of our difficulties. Now, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he understood the significance of a good speech. And while there are some wild stories, and we'll read through them over the next several days, there are some wild stories in the book of Acts. Almost a third of the book is actually speeches, sermons. In fact, there are 28 of them in total in the book, mostly by Peter. Later, we'll hear from Paul but Luke uses these speeches, these sermons, to, to essentially interpret what's going on, to, to help us understand the meaning and the, the significance of those stories that we take place. And that's essentially what Peter was doing in this. Now, admittedly, it is not the most engaging sermon ever to be preached. It's a little hard to follow. It's the reason that we just heard the end of it, because it's a little convoluted, it doesn't always make sense, but the truth is, you're used to hearing mediocre sermons, so we can muddle through, we'll figure it out together how it goes. Now, keep in mind that this crowd, this audience to whom he was preaching was people from, from every nation under heaven, it says. Now, there might be a little bit of hyperbole there. But it also might be helpful for us to know that, that the Greek word for nation, every nation under heaven, the Greek word there is ethnos. Ethnos. These were not people from every country under heaven. You see, the idea of ethnos in the same way that the English word ethnicity is that there are all sorts of different people that they looked different, they talked different, they thought different, they, they were from different areas with different cultural understandings about, about what it means to be family, what it means to be faithful. And so what Peter is saying here is that the good news of God's redeeming love is not just for one kind of people, one core ethnicity. That the good news of God's redeeming love is for everyone, for everybody. And no one has to give up who they are. They don't have to pretend to be something that they're not. It's for everybody. That God calls together people from a wide variety of places. God doesn't insist that they all look alike, that they all think alike, that they all speak alike. That through the events that take place on Pentecost, that God creates the church as a community of difference. 
a place where people come together out of their own background, with their own languages, yet find a way to gather together in unity. You see, from the very beginning, the church gathers those differences, those distinctions into a common home. The church of Jesus Christ consists of a unity that thrives on diversity. That we don't have to, nor should we, look alike, think alike, talk alike. That we don't all have to believe the same, worship the same, love the same, be the same. That there is actually strength in diversity. Now, I would argue that that's a pretty important message for the church today. It was important in the first century. It's just, if not more so today, especially in the midst of our culture that is more polarized than ever before, as we try to figure out how to, how to create a unity out of those differences, those differences that, that all too often divide us, the language, the culture, the race, the, the ethnicity, things that have caused us to be divisive in the past. We tend to think that the way forward is to all think the same to all create some sort of monoculture, a singular way of being together, but Acts says that it is in our differences that we're going to find unity. In our differences, we're going to find our strength. In our differences, we're going to find our own sense of belonging. And as I said, that was an important message in the first century, and it certainly is today. Now, what Peter is saying in this speech here, in what Acts will say again and again and again, over and over and over again. In fact, if, if, if Peter were to title his speech, it would be this, that Jesus is the source of God's salvation. Let me hear you say that. Jesus is the source of God's salvation. So what we'll see in these speeches, though, is that, that they don't always explain how doesn't always explain what that's going to look like, why that is, but instead these speeches are focused not on what, why, how, but always on who, the who of salvation is Jesus Christ. And over and over again, Acts tells us that it is through Christ that God has brought all of these old promises into completion, that it's through Christ that God has proven to be faithful, that it is through Christ that God has remembered God's people. Jesus is the source of God's salvation, that all who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. But I would argue that what Peter is saying here is different than what we oftentimes think about when we think of being saved. Here, the way that Peter talks about it doesn't mean, as it does for a lot of people today, that that when we die, we get to go to heaven. I don't think that's what salvation means. I actually think it's bigger than that. It's deeper. It's wider. Now, let me pause right there and just say, please do not hear me say that I don't believe in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. And don't you dare go to somebody and say, guess what the minister at University Christian Church says, that we don't get to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that a lot of people see salvation 
salvation as some sort of a magic ticket, that if you believe the right things, that if you nod your head at the right times, that when you leave, when you die, you get to go to some better place. This is what Rob Bell refers to as evacuation theology. This type of theology believes that this world is filled with all sorts of problems and struggles and sin, that this place is bad, and that there is some other place, and, and if you believe, if you accept, if you trust, if you join, if you get baptized, if you, whatever language you want to put on it, that if you just do the right things, that salvation means that you get to go to some other realm where things are good. So essentially, it's a theology of evacuation. It's a magic ticket. But Bell says that his understanding and I would agree wholeheartedly, is that the Bible is first and foremost a story not of evacuation, but of restoration. It's a story of renewal. It's a story of rescue. The fundamental story, the arc of the Bible, he says, is God is passionate about rescuing this world that God is passionate about restoring, rescuing this world. You see, I'm a Christian. On my good days, I'm a Christian. Not for what it's going to get me after I die, but for what it gives me today. A sense of meaning, a purpose of hope, of compassion, of gratitude. The fundamental story the ark of the Bible is that God is passionate about rescuing this world. It's important for us to remember that Jesus came out of the Jewish tradition and prophets like Joel, who Peter quoted a moment ago, who speak of this age and the age to come is the language that they often use. They were talking about some great hope that, that God's justice would be served, that, that God's peace, that God's shalom would prevail. And they referred to this as the Messianic Age. But they were not talking about some place that we would all escape to. But that this world would be restored. And from time to time, we, we see glimpses of that, don't we? When heaven breaks into earth, we see moments, and sometimes they're small, and sometimes they're almost unrecognizable, but we see moments of kindness, of compassion, of, of generosity, and sometimes they're small, insignificant ways, but yet, but yet when you see them, you say, yes, yes, that's what the world is supposed to be like. That is how the world is supposed to be. And what do we say when we see moments like that? When we experience that, we say, oh, it's like heaven on earth. Do you remember what we prayed just a moment ago in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Now, my mom is from a small little town called Claude, Texas, and she watches us every Sunday morning. Hi, Mom. Glad you're here. She's from a small little town in the panhandle called Claude, which is basically a speed trap on the way to Amarillo. It's about 1,300 people. <laughs> And this last week, I was driving through Claude on my way to Colorado to take my daughter to college. And as we drove through, Ella looked around, and she goes, there's not even a stoplight here. And I said, honey, that's because no one wants to stop here. 
But my mom has this phrase, and every time we gather together as a family, whether it's for just a few moments, whether it's for a vacation, whether it's for a meal, at the end as we're getting ready to say goodbye, she'll say, ah, this has just been a little spot of heaven. Heaven on earth. You see, the Christian faith is not about believing the right things so that you can escape someplace else when you die. It's about living in such a way now that you are working to bring heaven to earth. And when that happens, that happens every time you give yourself to the things that God would have us do. At the end of his speech, when Peter is finished, and he sits down, the people in the crowd, it says, were were cut to the heart. Fascinating phrase. They were cut to the heart, and, and all of a sudden they looked around and they asked Peter and the other apostles, so what should we do? They were inspired. They were intrigued. What should we do? And do you remember what he said? He said, repent. Repent and be baptized, which is a, a fascinating way of saying, just turn around. Turn around, see the world in a new way. You're headed in the wrong direction, just change course. You see, like salvation, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about repentance. And it tends to be connected all too often with shame and guilt and sin. But I think it's different than that. I think it's bigger, it's wider, it's deeper. Now, you may have seen this week that Frederick Buechner died at the age of 96. And you may not know who that is, but I can pretty assure you that you know him because he is the theologian, the author that I read and quote probably more than anyone else. In fact, one of the members of my staff told me this week that they kept a running count for a while on how many times I quoted Frederick Buechner in sermons. I stopped counting, he said, at 47. His work, his writings have profoundly shaped my theology. And so you may not know who he is, but you know him. He's been a great spiritual teacher and a mentor from afar for me, especially early in my ministry. He said this, to repent is to come to your senses. It's not so much something that you do as something that happens. True repentance, he says, spends less time looking at the past and saying, I'm sorry, and more time looking to the future and saying, wow. Repent, Peter said. Be saved. Be rescued. There are no conditions holding you back. And, and then I imagine he, he spreads his arms wide and he says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone that the Lord God calls God's redeeming love is for everyone. Wow, indeed. No wonder that 3,000 people joined the church that day.
are reminded today that we are a community filled with differences. People from all over, all different ways of thinking, of being, we are all created so differently. And yet through Christ's love, we all come together. And Jesus gave us this table to come together as one, not just here in this building on this day, but everywhere that Christ has followed. Jesus gave us this place to remember him, a simple meal to gather together and to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is already at work in the world, doing the work so that all will know that they're loved and all can find Christ's love. And when we come to this table, we can be reminded that we too are filled with the Holy Spirit and step from this place out into the world to do the work that we're called to do. We remember on the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And when you do so, remember me. In the same way he took the cup, he blessed it and poured it for them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for all. Take and drink. And when you do so, remember me. Let us pray. We approach this table, Lord, in need of spiritual nourishment, in need of repentance, in need of rescue. We see you always before us and our hearts rejoice. We welcome all to join us as we eat the bread of life and drink the cup of salvation in remembrance of the risen Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> 